Amen. So last week we started this message, the four laws of marriage. How many of y'all were surprised that we're here that there are laws to marriage? How many of you knew that there were laws? Okay. Okay, very few people. I'm going to be honest. Before I heard this message, this message comes from Jimmy Evans. He has taught me many things about marriage and, and life in general. Uh, I had never heard of four laws of marriage. And he began to explain that the, the reason we have laws. Why do we have laws in our, in our society? We have laws to protect ourselves from one another. We have stop signs so we don't run into each other and hurt, hurt one another. We have laws against theft so we don't steal from one another. Can I tell you that, and I, I kind of mentioned this last week, that it doesn't matter how much you know the Lord or how, how much you love Him or you want to do the right thing. If there were not laws in place, the temptation would be too great to hurt one another in some way. Because we all have these needs inside of us. And inevitably, because we're human, we're going to try to get those needs met other than from the hand of God. And so we have these laws in place to protect ourselves. Many people think, I'm either lucky enough to marry the right person or I'm not lucky enough. If hopefully this person I'm going to marry that I'm married to was the right one and, you know, hopefully it works out. I know for, for my friend or for my parents or whoever it didn't work out, but hopefully it works out for me. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you may have, now that I'm saying that out loud, you may have thought, that's kind of how I've thought. I, man, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. I'll do my best, but who knows? Who knows? Listen to this very carefully. When God creates anything, including marriage, he creates it for success. I'm going to say that again. When God creates anything, he creates it for success. Did God create marriage? You can be sure if you do marriage God's way, you will be successful. Listen to this. When God creates anything, he creates it upon the laws of his kingdom. There are laws to marriage. There are laws to life. I could be here for the rest of the morning. There are many times when I'm talking to people, and I've found it true in my own life, and I'm just trying to pick on other people. I've, I've found this to be true. But there are many times when I'm talking to people, and they're like, well, I'm just going to try it this way. And even after I've opened up the Word of God to them and said, no, you got to do it this way. Because if you do it this way, you can be sure you're going to be successful. But if you begin to do, if you're going to, if you're going to take this matter into your own hands and do it your way, you cannot be sure that it's going to work. This is the power of basing our life on the Word of God. Did you know to not base your life on the Word of God is to live recklessly? It is a crapshoot if you think about it. If you're, not, if you're not basing your marriage or your life on the Word of God, something that God has proven, when God, again, when God creates anything, he, he creates it to be successful. If you're not building your life on His Word and His principles, then you're going to have to be really lucky or really fortunate or whatever to have success in whatever area that you're looking at in your life. You have a 100% chance of success in marriage. When you do it God's way, it doesn't have to be a mystery. It doesn't have to be, well, maybe we'll work out, maybe we won't. If you do it God's way, you'll preserve your peace, you'll preserve your sanity. Doesn't mean you won't go through hard times, but you can, did you know that you can have peace through every season? That's a prom that is an amazing promise, whether you have thousands and thousands of dollars in your bank account or you have, you're in the red. 
you can have peace in every situation when you do things God's way. This is the four laws of marriage. Genesis 2 verse 24 says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. These are the four laws. I know I mentioned this last week. How many of you all saw these? See the four laws here? Most people said, where? I don't see any numbers, right? This is, these two verses contain the four laws of marriage. This is the first law. We learned it last week, the law of priority. Look at the first half of, of verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. This is the first law, and it's the law of priority. When you get married, when you're planning to get married, you have a responsibility to reprioritize and reorganize your relationships. Before you got married, other people were more important. Your parents, mom, dad, brothers, sisters, other friends, even close friends. But when you get married, the most important relationship in your life is your spouse. Marriage only works in first place. This is a law. Again, this is a law. You can just kind of harping back to what I said a second ago. You can say, well, I'm going to still keep my mom close. You can choose your, your actions, but you cannot choose your consequences. You can choose what you want to do, but don't expect what you want to happen to happen. You can only be sure of what's going to happen if you build your life on the Word of God, if you go into the Word for advice on marriage. What is the right order? I think they may have it on the screen. This is the right order in your priorities. Number one, God. God's the first, most important because we'll be married to Him the longest. You're going to be married to him longer than you're married to any person here on earth. This is a reality. You're married to him right now, and we need to start acting like it. All these laws also, I'll say this at the end, all these laws you can apply to your walk with the Lord. Law of priority, God comes first. The next one, law of pursuit, you have to pursue him. Number one, God's the most important priority in your life. Number two is your spouse, your husband or your wife. Notice your spouse comes before your children. If you put your children before your spouse, you're teaching your children to put their children before their spouse, and then you have this crazy circle, this crazy cycle. Your children come after your spouse, then your children, then your job, then your extended family and friends. You know why work comes before um, your, the rest of your extended family, mom, dad, friends? Because your, your job is what you use to provide for the first three, God, spouse, and children. This is the right, this is the right list of priorities, Okay. That's the law of priority. Number two is the law of pursuit. Now, last week I, I, I labeled it the law of work, um, but it's really the law of pursuit, which takes work. Verse 24 says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and what? Hold fast to his wife. Hold fast to his wife. So the first part is, um, the first part is priority, and then the hold fast to his wife. The, the last one we'll, we'll do in a minute. The second one is we're going to hold fast to his life, the law of pursuit. Everyone in here who got married took some time to pursue your spouse. If you didn't, uh, I was just trying to think of an example. To not, let's say you didn't pursue, your, pursue the person you're married to and you got married. What would that look like? It would look like you going up to somebody and saying, hey, I don't know you. I just, I just, I've just seen you for the first time, but I want to marry you. And then saying, okay, let's get married. There's, I mean, that's ridiculous, right? That's not, that doesn't work in any, in, any, in any culture. What had to happen before you got married to your spouse? You had to take them on a date. 
You had to get a haircut. You had to put some deodorant on. You had to go buy some cologne, some perfume. You had to put your eyelashes on. I like saying that one. (laughs) (laughs) You had to wash the car. Hadn't been washed since you bought it. Guys, you had to do a few things. You had to put some work in. What did you have to do? You had to pursue your spouse. Think, think, y'all that are, are married, think about some of the things your spouse did for you to pursue you. Uh, the others, or also, I want you to think, what are some things you did to pursue your spouse to make sure that, they, that you got them to put a ring on your finger or you were able to put a ring on their finger? And I want you to ask this question, are you still doing those things? See, many people put lots of time and energy in planning for a wedding and planning for the honeymoon. They say, and I mentioned this last week, satisfaction is at an all-time high when you're getting married on your wedding day because you have just spent all of your time and energy preparing for that day. You have focused your, you have focused your gaze on one another. What happens after you get married? The, the, the husband says, hey, I'm good. I've got her. I got her locked up. You know, <laughs> She's mine. He doesn't want, he doesn't want and dine her anymore, doesn't take her on dates, doesn't do all these things, and the wife stops putting on makeup, stops putting on perfume, and maybe you start doing those things because this one spouse is not doing them, and then you create, again, this crazy cycle. If you're going to stay married, if you're going to have the same level of satisfaction that, that made you get married in the first place, you have to continue to pursue your spouse, and what does that take? That takes a lot of work. You have to put work in. Many people believe if I marry the right person, the emotions will always be there. It's a lie. Your emotions will not always be there. You're going to have to work to put in, to put in, put in the work to make sure you feel the way you felt when you first started dating. People think if my emotions change, then I must have married the wrong person. Again, not true. The thing that I believe, one of the things that most negatively affects marriages is emotions, which is kind of ironic because that's the reason you get married. You get married to somebody because they make you feel a certain way. But if you are only basing your marriage on emotions, you're going to be disappointed because your spouse is human. They're going to make you mad. They're going to say things when they shouldn't say things. They're going to do things they, they shouldn't be doing. And that's going to affect your emotions. And if you only live in that world of your emotions, then one day you're going to find yourself not wanting to get married. And unfortunately, many people have gone down that road and gotten divorced. We cannot base our, our marriage on emotions, we have to understand that we are called to one another and we have to put in the work. What does the best marriage look like? The best marriage is not those who check all the boxes and the, and the you know, chemistry strikes and then here we, here we are and they live happily ever after. No, the best marriages are those who, yes, love one another, are attracted to each other, but yet they realize they're two very different people with two different styles of everything and they come, but they work together, they go through hard things, and they come out best friends. That is what a, the best marriage looks like. So I just want to uh, demystify any, any lie about, well, I got to just marry the right person then. No, I, could, I can almost say, and this is the way they did it in the old times, you can marry almost anybody, and if you put in the work, you can have a better marriage than people who seemingly have the best chemistry. It's a choice. Jesus married us. He married us. Think about the Son of God wanting to marry us. How, mu- how much in us do you think Jesus was attracted to? Not very much. 
He chose to marry us, and he's in a process of wooing, of wooing us to him and putting us first. We can do the same thing in our marriages. Amen? Okay, law number three this morning. This is the third law, and we find it in Genesis 2, verse 24. It says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and number three, and they shall become one flesh. This is the law of possession. When two people get married, they become one in God's eyes. This is the reality. When two people are joined together at the altar on a wedding day, they no longer are seen as, as two people in God's eyes, but one person. Mark 10 verse 9 says this, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has joined together, don't let man separate. The law of possession is about ownership. Who owns what in the marriage? Who owns the car? Okay? Whenever you come together, whenever you get married, most people ha have owned things before they get married. So maybe you owned a car. Maybe you owned a house, an, an apartment. Maybe you owned a boat. Maybe you owned a dog, a cat. Maybe you guys had children before you got married and you're coming together. The law of possession is about who owns what in the marriage. This is where a lot of disagreement comes in when people say, well, that's mine. Well, yeah, but that was mine before. What's the answer to this question? Who owns what in marriage? Both of you own everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. All the money in your bank accounts, everything in your house, your house, your cars, and I'll even say this, even your children, even if they're stepchildren. Both spouses own both of them. This is the law of possession. It's about sharing. I don't know if you realize this by now, and, and hopefully this is going to bring some healing to marriages, but marriage is about sharing. It doesn't matter what you had before. When you come together, the Word of God says that God, God created them to be one, and God only sees them as one. It's not like God is saying, oh, no, no, no. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, Jill, she owned that car before you got married, Jack. So, yeah, that's, no, he says, hey, I just see one person. You both own it. Listen to this carefully. Anything you will not give to your spouse will create problems going forward in the marriage. Anything. I, I can, anything, anything. Here, here, here's a good one. Women, and I know this, I know more women deal with this than, than men. Men have a, a greater sexual desire. But the wife who says, this is my body, I'm going to give my body to you whenever I want. How many, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you know that has created problems in marriages? This is my body. Did you know your body doesn't belong to you? I'm going to read that in just a minute. When I say anything you will not give to your spouse, I mean anything you will not give to your spouse. And this is where you have to invite the Holy Spirit to illuminate these areas in our lives that we're holding on to and we're saying no that's mine that's mine did you know the word my will destroy your marriage it's ours it's ours and that again that's a very vulnerable place to live in but we have to live that way now there are a few ways that we violate this law of possession number one is dominance in most marriages there is a dominant partner i've seen it time and time and time again and it's going to be that way until Jesus comes back. But in most marriages, there is a dominant partner. And let me tell you, it is a gender-neutral issue. The man can be dominant or the woman can be dominant. 
but there is a dominant partner. And if you are the dominant person, I'm just sorry to tell you, you're going to have to work a little bit harder on this law because it does not come natural for you to share. Because and I, I'm trying to think that when I get married one day, am I going to be that dominant person or not? Um, I would, if I, if I, if I um, am going to be that person, I would be because I, I believe this. I think I know best. And that's probably if you're dominant in your relationship, you think, well, I know, I know best. I know what needs to happen. I know what needs to happen with the children. I know what needs to happen with your career. If you would just listen to me. And we put our, and we put our spouses through the ringer trying to get them to, to listen to us. Because of good intentions, but in reality, it's dominance. We have to realize that the relationship is more important than the issue. The relationship is the most important, not the issue. The issue is unity. And this is, and I talked about this earlier in the, earlier in the year, um, especially when it came to Black Lives Matter and all these different issues. The, the issues are important, but the most important issue is unity. We have to stay together. If the devil can divide us, he can conquer. Hence the phrase divide and conquer. We have to learn to be unified. This is the same when it comes to marriage. The issue is not that important. Unity is what's important. Because if you can stay united, the Word of God says it is like the oil. Uh, it says in, in Psalms how, how good it is when brothers come together in unity. It's like the oil that comes down from Aaron's beard down, to, down, down his robe to his feet. Oil represents the Holy Spirit, which represents anointing. How many of you want the anointing, which is God's power in your life, specifically when it comes to your marriage? If you're dominant, don't worry about the issues. Worry about being united. Dominant says, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to share. It's mine, my kids, my money, my house. Listen to this. Dominance always destroys passion and intimacy in marriage. Always destroys passion and intimacy. Why? Because it says this. If you're, if you're being dominant towards your spouse, again, there can be good reasons that you have. Maybe it's not all. You just want to be in control. Maybe there's good reasons, but if you're being dominant towards your spouse, you're saying, hey, I'm more important than you are. I'm going to exert my will over you because of, a, again, a good, or a good reason or maybe a bad reason, but you are telling your spouse you're not equal to me. Your spouse is feeling controlled, and I guarantee you it's, it's um, affecting the level of satisfaction in the marriage. Equality is very important in any circumstance, but it is vital in marriage. And I'll say this, men and women are equal in marriage. Men and women are equal. There's a passage in Ephesians um, 6 that we weren't able to get to this series. Hopefully in the next few months we'll be able to get to it. But there's a passage where it says that men, that it seemingly, seemingly, it doesn't say this, but seemingly it says that men are more important than women. They're not. Men and women are equal. I love how, how Jimmy Evans says this. He says, me and Karen never dis- discuss who's boss in our marriage. We never discuss who has more importance, who has more say. He says, Jesus is the boss. He says, Jesus is the boss. We don't make any decisions unless we ask the Holy Spirit. So dominance is the first show. Number two, the second uh, thing that gets in the way of this law is independence. We say, I'm going to do this by myself. You say, well, he lives on that side of the house. I live on this side of the house. We're going to just do things their own way. Marriage is brutal on selfish people. Marriage is brutal on independent people. If you want to be independent, then you should have stayed single. And I'll say this to single people. If you, don't like, if, you don't, if you like your independence, stay single. Marriage is brutal on selfish people. It doesn't work. Independence will destroy marriages. 
Marriage is about two people coming together and learning to share everything. Anything you will not share will come back later to haunt you. And you'll pay a price for it. So I want you to ask the Holy Spirit this week or even now, Lord, is there anything I'm not sharing with my spouse? Number three, protection. We don't share, we don't honor this law because we feel the need to protect ourselves or our children. Um, And this is understandable. Whenever you come together in relationships, especially if you've come from a bad relationship or bad marriage, you have your walls up, right? It's it's natural. Um, Even though I, I was married a long time ago and divorced a long time ago, there are still some things that I know I'm going to have to deal with. Maybe it won't be super hard, but I'm going to have to address them when I get married again. And, and y'all that have been married before and are married now, you know that there have been some things you have to deal with. And so one of the reasons we don't share our emotions or share our things is because, well, how do I know you're not going to leave me like the last person did? Protection. That still is not a reason to violate this law. Again, it's a law. If you violate the law, then there are consequences. This also applies to children, especially, and I said this earlier, to stepchildren. This is really important. This will save you a lot, of, a lot of issues. If you have children from a previous marriage and you come together, it is natural. It is natural. I think it's even healthy initially for the biological parent to discipline the biological child and for the step-parent to be right there. I think, it's, I think it's better. I don't think it's natural. I don't think the children will necessarily receive that correction right away. So I think it's natural. But this is, this is, the tr- this is a truth. The step-parent, the non-biological parent, has to have full authority to discipline that child. Otherwise, the step-parent becomes a target of the children. Jimmy Evans was telling a story of how he's counseling some people, and they had this issue, and 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 because the mom did not give her husband the authority to discipline their kids, um, the ch- children, their children, they don't know any better, said, "Well, I'm, I'm just going to get away with anything. And I'm going to pick on I'm going to pick on this stepdad, and guess what? He ain't going to be able to do anything about it because my mom's my mom. She's my parent." And he became a target. And then here we go. The level of satisfaction goes down. And bitterness and resentment comes along. And he says, hey, you have to give, you have to give authority to your spouse to discipline these kids. And she said, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. And of course, she probably said that maybe she was in a relationship before that he mistreated the kids. It's understandable. I'm not saying uh, the reasons we do these things are, are bad or unnatural. But it's breaking a law. And when you break a law, you'll pay the price in your marriage. Dominance, independence, and protection. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. I'm going to read five verses. It says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good. He says, This is one of the things that he asks them. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. He says, But because of the temptation to sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. He says, your bodies belong to one another for sex. You do not have the right to hold your body 
um, uh, from your spouse because that's what you want to do. Look at verse 4. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Wives, you do not have authority over your, your body. Your husband does. I know that's a terrifying thought to some people. <laughs> but look at the second half of this verse. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. This only works, well, only works really well when both parties are giving themselves to each other. If there's one person holding out, it's going to be heck. It's not going to feel good. Again, but if, if you're the spouse who's willing to do this, I believe the Lord's going to give you peace. And he's going to protect your heart. He's going to protect your soul. And there really is a grace. Again, when you do things God's way, he's with you. But if you don't think, do things God's way, what you're saying is, I'm not, invi- I'm not inviting you, God, into my life. It's not that God says, no, you're not doing things my way, so I'm going to stay away. No, it's the opposite. We are not, we're not doing things God's, God's way. We're not inviting him into our lives. God's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on us. When we do things his way, he says, hey, obviously, you, you want me in your life, so I'm going to be in your life. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You do not belong to yourself. When you get married, you give, spou- you give your spouse license to your body. Not for abuse. Listen, listen to that very carefully. Not for abuse, but for use. Not to be abused, not to be mistreated, but for use. And what this, what this does is it ensures that you're, that you're not going to use your body against your spouse or as a bargaining chip, which happens all the time. Well, if you do this for me, then I'll, I'll give you my body. That's not the spirit of marriage. The spirit of marriage says, I don't belong to myself and you don't belong to yourself. We belong to one another. The two shall become one flesh. We can honor this law, but also when we're making a decision, we make all decisions together. Now, what happens if you're trying to make a decision? Now, again, this is very hard because you are two different people from different backgrounds coming together trying to make a decision. And for sure, some of the bigger decisions are harder to make. What happens whenever you guys come to a stalemate and you can't make a decision? You go to the Holy Spirit. You don't say, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm just going to do it. They can get over it. <laughs> That's so detrimental to marriage. You say, no, I'm going to, we're going to pray. And, I've, and I have, I have um, I've seen this many, many times when uh, I've heard testimonies of two, two people who are married believers coming and praying together and saying, all right, we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to give us the same, to give us the same answer. And, they, and the Holy Spirit does. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. Then when you invite the Holy Spirit into your life, you don't have to be fearful of these tough decisions. He's going to come and bring unity and put you guys on the same page. We may be different, have different needs, different wants, a different philosophy, but we're going to act as one. This is the law of possession. And then also, just, just to finish this point, there are, sometimes you see people, uh, usually people who have a lot of money, sign prenuptial agreements. You ever heard of that? You've seen that on... Um, in Hollywood, TMZ, um, TMZ, yeah, <laughs> world star, just kidding, <laughs> a prenuptial agreement is a death sentence to a marriage, why, because it says, I'm going to legally keep this for myself, 
You know what that communicates to your spouse? That that thing is more important than them. You're already starting off on the wrong foot. The law of possession is this. What's yours is mine and mine is yours. And we're not going to fight ever again about what's mine or what's yours. It belongs to us. And we're going to trust the Holy Spirit. God, this is a, God created marriage. God did. Not you. Not a Hollywood movie. God created marriage. It only works when you do it his way. Only works. You can say, well, I don't like that. Well, then good luck with your idea of marriage. I don't say that to be mean, but we, I'm, I'm trying to emphasize marriage belongs to the Lord. Marriage was created because of the real thing that we first had with him. We have to do things his way. It's a law of possession. Lastly, it's the last law, the law of purity. Look at Genesis 2, verse 24 through 25. We're going to read it all. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Priority, I'm going to choose my spouse first. And hold fast to his wife. I'm going to, pers- I'm going to continue to pursue my spouse. And they shall become one flesh. Possession, we're going to share everything. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Before the fall, and this was before the fall, before sin came into the world, the Word, the word of God says that man and, and woman, the man, Adam and Eve, were both naked and were not ashamed. They were able to be completely naked, and there was no shame. Now, some of our toddlers are naked, and they have no shame, right? So you don't feel that shame until, how many of you had little uh, um, kids or nieces or nephews or brothers or sisters little, and they just, yeah, I'm going to walk around in my diaper. I don't care who sees. I don't care who's here. That's an innocence that God wants to restore to us. Anyways, um, God created marriage in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden means pleasure and delight. God, listen to this carefully, God created marriage in a place that means pleasure and delight. God wants us to live, have our marriage, and it be pleasurable and be delightful. They were able to be totally exposed and vulnerable. Not just physically naked, but emotionally naked, spiritually naked. They were able to be completely exposed. What happened after the fall? When Adam took the, took the fruit and ate of it, the Word of God says they realized they were naked and they began to cover themselves and hide from each other. That, that fellowship, that ability to be able to be completely exposed to one another was, was broken, and they were hiding from each other. And it says they put leaves on their private parts. They covered themselves. What are private parts? It's the areas where you're most different and you're most sensitive. Listen to this. This is really good. The, the, our private parts are where we are most different, male and female, and we're most sensitive. When you're living, this is the law of purity. When you're living your marriage in purity, you can expose your differences and talk about all the sensitive areas of your marriage without a problem. This is the law of purity. You can expose how you're different, not be fearful, not be ashamed, and talk about all these sensitive areas in your marriage that, you're, that you have with your spouse without a problem. But when you have sin in your marriage, and you're sinning against one another and not putting one another first. You cannot trust each other and have to hide your differences and your sensitivities. Jimmy told this story that he was 
prefer, he was putting golf and other things before his spouse, and it said, and he said um, they were completely out of love, and they were heading for divorce. He said, my wife had was she was completely covered up. She she had fig leaves everywhere, because she, because I was not putting her first. I was not pursuing her. I was not. She was not a priority. I was not pursuing her. We weren't sharing things, um, and I wasn't. I wasn't honoring this law of purity. I wasn't considering how she was feeling. He says, but whenever, whenever he repented, the fig leaves came off because he began to put her first. This is what the law of purity says. I have to be careful with everything I say and do because everything affects you. And when I make a mistake, I have to take responsibility for it. This is what it says. I have to be careful with everything I say and everything I do when it comes to you because it affects you. Did you know that we are created to be sensitive people? Our heart is the holy of holies to us. We're not just going to let anyone in. In the, in the Old Testament, there was uh, the tabernacle and there was a holy place and there was the most holy place, the holy of holies. And only one person, one time a year could go in there. Our heart is that way. We will not just let anybody in. Those that come in, we have to know are going to, going to love us, not judge us not condemn us, not make us pay a price for telling them the truth. We have to essentially live in this law, live according to this law of purity. So I want to ask you a couple of tough questions. When's the last time you thought twice about how you spoke to your spouse? When's the last time you took accountability for your actions? When's the last time you said, I'm sorry, I was wrong? I know many marriages where it is very hard for the spouse to do that. Just to say, I'm sorry. Like, it's, it's not hard. But when you don't do these things, you're violating this law, and your marriage is paying the consequences. Many people are living in their marriage covered with fig leaves. There's no transparency because there's no trust, and there's no trust because there's no consideration for how you're treating one another. When you're careful in the way you treat each other and you take responsibility for your mistakes, the fig leaves come off. When the Bible says they were completely naked and unashamed, they were not just physically naked. They were emotionally naked. They were able to freely share how they were feeling. They were mentally naked. They, they weren't scared of, of communicating a thought. They were completely naked. How many of you want that in your relationship with your spouse? Let me tell you, that's a dream. That's a dream that many people may not realize, but it's a dream that each of us have. Everyone desires to have a relationship where you can be completely vulnerable, and when you speak the truth, you're not going to pay the price for speaking the truth, and you're not going to be condemned. You're not going to be looked down on like, oh, that's stupid. Why do you think that? Well, that's the last time I ever tell you anything. This is the law of purity. That we are going to consider one another. We're going to treat with one another in love, as we talked about a few weeks ago. We're going to walk purely with each other. You know, I, when I was married, I, um, it was a very quick marriage, but... Like, as I mentioned, I feel like I learned a whole lot. And 
as I was kind of preparing for this point, I just realized there wasn't purity in my marriage. We didn't put each other first. We didn't consider how we spoke to one another. So much so um, that when it was all said and done, I realized I did not know the person I was married to. I began to develop other friendships and relationships, men and women, later. And what I would had conversations with them, and I, and I would begin to think, man, I never had this conversation with my spouse. I, didn't even, I don't even know what she thought about this, this area. And I realized that we never honored this law, and therefore, we never saw each other naked. Completely naked. <laughs> we never saw each other emotionally I never saw her real emotions, never saw her real thoughts, and likewise, she never saw mine. My desire is for every person to be able, to me, um, all these are really important, but, to, but this last law has the potential to do, so, if we learn to keep this law, has the potential to have such great benefits in our marriage. If we have to learn to talk, to talk with one another purely, not out of hate, not out of anger. We're to really take the time and put one another first. Four laws of marriage. Law of priority, we're going to put our spouse first. Not our children, not our job. We're going to put our spouse first. God first, then our spouse. Number two, the law of pursuit. We're going to continue to pursue our spouse the way we pursued them when we first got married. Number three, the law of possession. Everything belongs to us. Doesn't belong to you, doesn't belong to me. It doesn't matter what it is. Even children that came from another marriage, we all have, we, everything belongs to us. And then the law of purity. I'm going to treat my spouse with honor. I'm going to treat them with love. I'm going to live my life in a way where they feel, feel comfortable enough to completely open up themselves to me. All these laws also apply to our walk with the Lord. God has to come first. We have to pursue him. Everything belongs to him. Did you know when, do you know, this is so good, whenever you give every, all of your stuff to God, he gives all of his stuff to you? That's a powerful reality. In the law of purity, we have, to have, we have to be sincere. Do we really want to know the Lord? Do we really want to seek him, or are we just giving him lip service? Let me tell you, not only can God tell the difference, your spouse can tell the difference. We have to learn to live purely to one another. Let's all stand. And as you're standing, I want you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. These are the four laws of marriage. These laws, if we obey them, if we obey them, you will have a much, much, much better chance of success in marriage. When we keep laws, we have nothing to fear. Just like when we obey laws in the real world, we have nothing to fear. The only reason we look over our shoulder if we see a cop is because we're speeding. If we're not speeding, then we're not gonna, we're, we, don't, we don't care. When we keep these laws, we have nothing to fear.